0: So that we we've got a long interview to fit in. We have but go- long but good. Very interesting interview mm. and one that was apparently recorded in the dungeon below your house.
1: <laughs> I knew you weren't going to let this go. It's difficult, isn't it? What can I say? I you know, I put the equipment on. I've got the I've got the speaker in front, and do you know, I pushed this the microphone right in front of him and I sort of sat miles away and
0: still I'm louder than him. Funny how you're louder (laughs) than anyone else in the room. How does that work? Anyway I just don't understand. Let's get on with it. Go on then. Everybody, to episode 243 of the Mid Faith Crisis podcast. My name is Joe. No, my name's not Joe Oh, Lord. I'm so turning into you. That was a nightmare. And I'm Nick Page. <laughs> Do you know, I really, I, I wake up at six every morning these days. It's an absolute nightmare. It is. And now I'm calling myself you. It's great. It's... The kenosis is nearly
1: complete. It's fabulous. You have emptied yourself of Nick and you have become <laughs> Joe. <laughs> uh,
0: anyway, look, how are you very quickly? Oh, well, yeah. All, all right. But I'm keen to get on with this uh, this interview,
1: which I find quite exciting. I think I mm. may answer that question
0: in the next
1: podcast
0: what the one that we're definitely going to record next week yes and not oh, immediately after this absolutely one
1: absolutely yes
0: <laughs> no, we yeah. wouldn't muck about like that with our listeners i know exactly it could be like i'm going on holiday again yes okay we're gonna cut the introductions very short this week yeah. because this is basically a two-parter we're going to do an, uh, an interview with a, uh, a writer a, um, a psychologist and priest uh, called Chris Scott, yep. Um and uh, that'll be the bulk of this this episode. And then uh, next episode, when Joe is away on uh, another well earned break, um, we... listen. Can I just say <laughs> like... something about that? Like, yeah, go on. Last September, I got COVID
1: when <laughs> I went yeah, away.
0: That's true. Yeah. When
1: I went to see my brother, I was you know with my brother. <laughs> In, yes. Out of hospital, mostly in. Uh, so I just want a holiday with no drama, no crises, no COVID, no anything.
0: Just just sitting around. No, and and no podcasting, which is why we're going <laughs> to uh, put out an episode, which is our responses to the interview. Yes. And um, I think if you're like me, you will have quite a few responses to this interview. So, so Joe, just set this up for me. Okay, yes, and I'll set it up and do a, a warning.
1: So what happened was the lovely um, Becky, um, who we have interviewed on the podcast before, uh, wrote to me and said, you've got to read this book called The Jesus Myth, A Psychologist's Viewpoint, by a chap called Chris Scott, who I'd never heard of. And um, I don't always do what every uh, listener says, but, you know, when Becky says it, you do it, right? So uh, she knows where it's at So uh, um, I read it and and I was bowled bowled over by it And had a lot of questions as well And so uh, sure enough he lives in Winchester So we arranged to meet, came to my house um, With the obvious sound quality that that ensues And I asked him about the book But I should say to people uh, Of all the interviews I think I've ever done I suspect this is the one that could potentially make people the most uncomfortable. In terms of, as with Dave Tomlinson, Chris would describe himself as a Christian humanist, which means that he would take a very non-literal view of most Bible stories. In fact, he would describe them as myth. So that's that's the territory we're, we're going into with this interview some people i think it will bring a certain joy to them others i think will feel i suppose you know, potentially disturbed by it so it'd be interesting to see the response and as always we'd love to hear your response uh to the interview but uh, i think it's mm. great and this is definitely you know my favorite interview since the last interview i did
0: <laughs> <laughs> very good yeah well well here they are they're in some kind of subterranean uh chamber Uh, Joe and Chris Scott.
1: Yeah, enjoy. Well, friends, I'm delighted to say that today I get the great privilege of interviewing uh, a psychologist and a priest um, uh, because I'm speaking to the author of The Jesus Myth, A Psychologist's Viewpoint. It's Chris Scott. Chris, welcome to the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast. Thank you
2: very much, Joe. Good
1: to be here. Oh, uh, it's so wonderful. of you. Chris has very kindly agreed to come to my home uh, to be here en route somewhere else. So thank you so much. And i I, I hope this is going to mean a lot to all of our 17 listeners. <laughs> it might be more than that. Um, so first of all, yeah, please tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Right, where to start? Um, I suppose I'll start very briefly with when I left school. Yeah. Which was the day that I was 15. Um, wow. Didn't wait to the end of term. Uh, I am dyslexic, and um, school a nightmare. So couldn't wait to leave, and didn't didn't wait to leave. <laughs> And I did a number of different jobs. Uh, I spent a short period of time on the community at Lee Abbey. Oh, great. In the, in the early... States. We love Lee Abbey here, so yeah. that's great. Um, but whilst I was at Lee Abbey, I saw a book about St Francis and um, that seemed to speak to me. Mm. So I made inquiry. I didn't know there were such things as, as uh, Anglican monks or friars. Mm. So I made some inquiries, found out that there was a society of St Francis. I went for a weekend I thought, oh, that's very nice, but not for me, thank you. And okay. went, went back to work. Uh, but for the next three years, it just kept nagging. Followed it. you around. It followed me around. <laughs> um, and so I sort of more seriously said, you know, perhaps I should try. And um, the, after this long week, aspirants weekend, uh, they said, yeah, we think you ought to come and try. Hmm. Uh, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry at that point, <laughs> but that's what I did. Spent four years in as a novice right. in SSF, and then it came to the point when I had to make vows. Um, the first vows that last for three years, oh. but, it, but you make them with a life intention. Wow! Oh, um, and I, I, I think both me and the community felt that wasn't right at the time. Okay. So I left very hard to leave after being part of course, for four years. Yeah. Um, spent about a year I had a friend who had a parish up in Cumbria uh, about a year working with him um, and during that time went to Ackham as it was then Selection Conference for Ministry, uh, was accepted and then went to Salisbury and Wales Theological College which is quite a liberal college um, Mm -hmm. then uh, went to be a curate in North London, um, complete and utter disaster, got the (laughs) sack (laughs) (laughs) I sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, And one of the things they accused me of was wanting the church to be like a therapeutic community. Well, yeah, I still want the church <laughs> to be like a ther- therapeutic community. Um, right. And then I moved to Curiously to um, Iron Bridge in Shropshire, And uh, the Vicar there was brilliant. And we got on were well together. So, uh, um, yeah, I'm just trying to think from there. Oh, I had... Uh, had a parish in Herefordshire, and the bishop let me train as a, a relate counsellor whilst I was there. What right. I think it was still marriage guidance counsellor in right. those days. back in those days, yeah. So uh, at that point I applied to do a degree in psychology, um, a joint degree psychology and theology, and we moved to Richmond-Upon-Thames. Um, Ruth had been accepted Now Ruth yeah, we should say was your wife Ruth was my wife, yeah, she died four years ago so, mm. uh, she was accepted for ordination training so after doing that I wrote uh, my first book Goodbye to God and for a period of time worked as our hos- in the hospital as chaplain but then we, we moved I retired from, from the uh, chaplaincy job I was doing we moved to Winchester uh, Ruth was still working, and um, but we'd only been in Winchester three or four months when she started to become ill. Right. And so the next three years, really, were her having um, horrendous treatments for cancer. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. And she died in February, um, just over four years ago. So during lockdown, um, well, I didn't have anything else to do. Mm. I thought, uh, perhaps it's time, time. To write See, book. So you'd already written, written Goodbye to God. Yeah. Why would you write a book with that title? Um, it's really about letting go of our images of God. Because we, I mean, and all religions do it, but we need to let go of our images if mm-hmm. we're ever to get anywhere near to the reality of God. And I love what in, in the Indian tradition they say about uh, when, when you talk about God, they say neti neti. Not this. Yes. Not, not this. Wow. So whatever you say about mm. God, God is beyond that. Yeah. God is more. God is greater than that. So it was about trying to have, you know, enable people to let let go of their images mm-hmm. and move on. And then with the Jesus myth, it's more specifically about yeah. looking at the nature of myth. Yeah. and how we understand Jesus. Yeah,
1: well, we're going to come on to that, but thank you for saying that. Okay, well, let's, let's get down to it now. Um, you've written this book called um,
2: The Jesus Myth. Why did you write it? Because I sort of recognised throughout my ministry, really, that the church has never tackled the nature of myth and never enabled people, never enabled children, if you like, to move across from a literal understanding to uh, a mythical or allegorical understanding of the Bible. And so very often when children get to the sort of age when, and perhaps need to be careful here in case young people are listening, a certain Christmas figure gets disbanded and goes away, Mm. Mm. the whole story goes with it. Mm. Some of the virgin birth and fairy, angels mm. and fairies, yeah. uh, you know, are all one. So it all gets cast off as being mm. not true. And what I want to say about myth is, it's a story that contains deep, deep truth, mm. but didn't necessarily happen.
1: Yeah, I love, I love this phrase. A myth is a story about something that never was, but always is. Yeah.
2: I love that. Do you want to say any more about that? Uh, It's beautiful. I mean, I can't claim as my own. Um, Mm. I was at a lecture some years ago by um, Marcus Borg, Mm. uh, and he used it. And I thought, wow, that's that's it. It's one of those light bulb moments. I think it's just so true. I mean, in one sense, we live by myth. Mm. We live by story all the time, and we have to enter into the story. Not just believing in it. We yeah. create our own myths. You, you mentioned that, that we, do we, we all have our own personal myths. Yeah. Do you want to say anything about that? Yeah, I mean, each of us, from the moment we are born, we, we build up a story about who we are mm. and what the world is like, depending on how we're treated. Mm. I think I'd mention in the book, when I see on the bus or in a cafe, there's a little child wanting its parent's attention, mm. and all the parent can do is look at its phone... Mm. and play on its phone or do whatever. And what's more important here, the phone or this child? Mm. And if, if that's happening constantly, the child will have a feeling that it, it is less important than the phone. Of course. You know? yeah. So we all, we all grow up with these sort of myth stories about who we are, what value we have, what the world is like, what value the world has. You know, if you if you I, I did one one or two courses in prison with the prisoners and the circumstances that they grew up in, mm. you know they, they clearly had the built-in impression that they were that they had no worth mm. in themselves, and so how are they going to treat other people? Mm. Exactly. Yeah. You know? So and and you know as, as a psychotherapist, so often what we do is to enable people to look at their myths and say you know is this healthy is this true is mm. this who you really are mm. Is this something you can let go of now mm. and letting go is so much part of the process of yeah. becoming who we yeah i mean i, think, in to be. I think one of my
1: favorite richard raw quotes is all true spirituality is about letting go and i've had to think about that clearly mm. it often refers to christianity as a as a faith of subs- subtraction the yeah. less you have, the more you. Yeah. Anyway, we won't get into that because <laughs> I, you, you, the next chapter once talked about myth is, is the Christ myth.
2: Yeah. Tell us what you mean by the Christ myth. There's a, there's a um, sort of transition between um, the Jewish Messiah, which we understand Jesus was thought to be, and at the time the concept of the Jewish Messiah was of a, a kingly figure. Mm. who would rescue them from the dominating power at the time. Yeah. And because uh, the, you know, the Hebrew people had one lot of dominating people yes. at the time, yeah. it happened to be the Romans. So they were looking for this almost superhero, yeah. you know, we could call him in today's parlance, yeah. to come and rescue them. Mm. But their expectation was that it would be a human being. And then it seems to me, and I haven't really worked this one out, how, how it happened, that after Jesus' death, they had to wrestle with, how can our Messiah be crucified? And I, I have no idea what the resurre- resurrection experience was. Mm. Clearly there was something. The accounts in the Gospels differ from one another, mm. so they, they can't all be literally true. Sure. but yeah. they're pointing towards something. And, and trying to work out this and, and paul i think was in you know, a very responsible for the idea of of the christ well christing from greek simply means somebody who was anointed yeah. so the anointed one and in paul's sort of understanding of christ he 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 emerges from being the human messiah into the son of god there is this sort of um, slippery path, one of the slippery Because if, if you're trying to talk about Jesus and who they believed he was, yeah, and you're talking to Romans and Greeks, yeah, they all had their myths, yes, quite yeah. different myths, and and those myths had gods who came to earth and had their way with human women, and mm. you know there were some mm. demigods and so on. And you had virgin births. So, to create stories that would make sense to the people of the time, Jesus sort of becomes this otherworldly figure rather than being a human savior um, but but I haven't, I haven't at all worked out how, how and exactly where that happened, uh, but it's part of the myth it's part of whether, whether how much of it whether any of it is literally historically true doesn't matter so much as What the people in the early church experienced, Mm. and and then went on to try and tell other people about that experience, Mm. and very often those sorts of experiences can only be talked about by by myth and poetry. Mm. Um, That's how you get to the deep truth of something. They're so true that you've got to you've got to get new stories to describe it. I mean, as I often say, you know, about Ruth or anybody else, I might laugh. My love is like a red, red rose. Mm. It's poetry. Mm. Deeply true, mm. but not literally true. Yeah. You know? Unfortunately, today, we live, we live in a society that's very literal, it's mm. very scientific, it's very black and white. Mm. So people tend to think if something isn't literally true, it's not true at all. And that's rather the way that you know Richard Dawkins and people yeah. like, like Richard look at the stories in the Bible. Yeah, And, of course, with our modern knowledge, they can easily be dismissed yeah. as being untrue, yeah. literally. But he hasn't gone on to see what, what the story is about, yeah. what the myth is containing. Yeah. And that's the really important
1: Yeah, well, I'm going to read my first quote, yeah. um, uh, where he said, The events of Holy Week record the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The question to be asked is... Is this a story that we should simply believe or disbelieve or a myth that we are invited to enter into and live out? Mm. So a myth is some, can be something you enter into and live out. Oh, absolutely,
2: yeah. And I think, again, as a, as a psychotherapist, I can you know, enable people to uh, move through the story, mm. move through the myth. So, you know, most people in their lives have suffering of mm. one sort or another. Sometimes it goes very deep and is very painful. It's a it's a crucifixion, mm. you know. It's a, it's a psychological crucifixion. But if you can move through it, um, through Holy Saturday, yes. and the tomb, the, the yeah. nothingness, uh, um, you you end up uh, with a, with a new life, a resurrected sort of life. You know, I, I've I've seen it in action, if you like, and I think you see something like the Ascension, for instance. Mm. Uh, I can't in any way shall sort of think of it as being literally true. And Jesus shoots up into the sky. <laughs> yeah, the rocket man, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but metaphorically and mythically, you know, he's he's moving to a new place. He's, he's getting closer to what it is to be truly yeah. human, if you like, truly um, godlike. Um, what What is godlike? Who knows? Mm-hmm. We, we make god in our own image, don't we?
1: <laughs> I'm loving what you're saying. I can hear the questions coming in already, but I'm going to read the second uh, because yeah, yeah. this contains actually my favorite sentence of the whole book. Yeah. Well, my second favorite. Sentence. <laughs> anyway, you said this. He said Jesus was not about liberating territory from the Romans or anyone else for that matter. He was about liberating hearts and minds, freeing people from a religion that was more about duty than joy. And here comes my favorite sentence. Jesus was all about being the right sort of person rather than believing the right sort of things.
2: Yeah, it it is about, uh, I think being Mm. a Christian is about becoming the best we can be, you know, in Mm. in terms of being a loving, kind, generous person, which Mm. is what Jesus was, as far as we can tell from Mm. what we read. And and what we believe really is neither here nor there because in the Middle Ages and and, beyond the Middle Ages, um, people believed all sorts of things they, they, were, they were thoroughly orthodox. Right. And because they were thoroughly right. orthodox, they would be quite prepared to torture other people because they weren't orthodox. Right. And, you know, that doesn't seem to me terribly Christian. <laughs> terribly kind. But it was about belief. Yes. You know, believing the right... Things. Orthodoxy, not orthopraxy. I, I think you mean. even said that yeah. in the book, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did. Yeah. Um, obviously, at one level, what you believe does matter because it affects who you are and how you operate in the world. Mm. But in terms of eternal life, Mm. I don't think it matters at all. I think uh, whatever whatever happens to me after I die, and I've got absolutely no idea, it will be affected by the sort of person I have been, Mm. how I've loved, how much we've loved. Mm. In a sense, I think love is the only currency we can take beyond this world.
1: That's so interesting. You know, Philip Larkin has a poem, An Hour Until Tomb, and and, uh, the last line of it is what will survive of us is love. Yeah. yeah. It feels right with all the funerals I do. Yeah. It, it yeah. Uh, does feel... Okay. Well, look, have a sip of your tea. I'm, I should say, I apologise for a few background noises. We're sat in my uh, li- living room here, and uh, the chairs creak. So apologies <laughs> for that. I hope that doesn't put you off, because we're moving into the meat of it now. Right. Now we're getting somewhere. And um, you then go on in the book, helpfully, to talk about archetype. Mm-hmm. And so... What is an archetype? Mm -hmm. And uh, and then we'll talk about how Christ is an
2: archetype. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. At one level, there's no such thing as an archetype. Right. (laughs) Um, You know, it's a a metaphor, it's a theory. It worked for Jung. um, And Mm -hmm. to some degree, it works for me. And I would describe it as um, in the same way that we have built-in instincts, physical instincts, Mm-hmm. So a baby will know how to suck the breast, doesn't mm-hmm. need teaching. A bird will know how to make a nest; it doesn't need teaching. So we have those sort of physical instincts built into us uh, when we come into the world. So we're yeah. born with some sort of inner knowing, inner yeah. sense. right. Yeah, okay. I can uh, I think it's a, it's basically an archetype; is a human instinct for navigating the world in which we live and one another. And amongst all the different archetypes, I would say that the Christ archetype is that of a human being who is fully human, fully alive and fully caring and kind. And we all have that. So somebody of any religion or no religion at all, if they're living out that sort of life, caring and loving and compassion and kindness. They're living the Christ archetype out. And that again, mm. that's not unique to me, as I think I've said in the book. Karl Rahner, who's a mm. theologian at the time of Second Vatican Council, came up with this wonderful concept of the supernatural existential, <laughs> It's a great name. And I'm basically saying that it's a sort of, it's like the grace of God, He'd so say it wasn't actually the grace so It's a pull of God. It's a magnetic pull of God on every human being. And if we respond to it by being loving and kind and compassionate and all those things, then the phrase he used was, we are anonymous Christians. Yeah, I, 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 I like that. I don't like the phrase too much because it's sort of still coming back to the church really. Um, so in anybody who lives that sort of life they're living out the Christ archetype within them. That's already there. Brilliant. So we don't, in one sense, we don't need to bring Christ to people. Christ is, is there. already He's there. This building. is great. Well, no, I'm, while we're on this, I'm, go, I'm going to skip into
1: uh, a question from one of our Soul Place uh, mm-hmm. members, Ruth, who, who asked this question. This seems so relevant to where you're going. She says, in the Jesus myth, uh, Chris describes the Christ archetype as the archetype. Of being fully human, and that this archetype is built into the human psyche, uh, she says. I guess that is what I have previously heard described as a god-sized hole, which only by filling and by accepting Jesus into my heart, uh, she says. It seems to me Scott is talking about something we know instinctively.
2: Yeah, is that? I think uh, we do. Um, I think yes, this part of instinctively. But I don't. I don't think we have to. Except Jesus into our <laughs> heart. Um, Jesus, Jesus was a flesh and blood man yeah. who lived out the archetype of love, if you like, or the Christ archetype. So we're not called to be like Jesus. We're, we're called to be fully Christ-like, which is a different thing. Yeah,
1: I mean, you, you said here, another quote time, that yeah. Jesus is alive today in as much as he represents the archetype that is in every human soul or yes. psyche. Well, these are bold statements, aren't they? Because there's some people, no, 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 Jesus has risen from that. And we don't know where it is exactly. Alpha <laughs> Centauri, maybe, I, you know, somewhere out there. But,
2: and you're, you're saying, no, no, no. Well, I don't Jesus, think so. But, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not the sort of um, the last word on all this because um, <laughs> yeah. none of it is anything that we can prove. So we have to go along with theories that make sense to us in our time and really i mean the other thing i do bang on about i know in the book (laughs) is is the fact that we are we are still living out a bronze age theology and i believe Uh, me that struck me mm. so clearly we're going
1: to talk a bit more about that but let me read you this from page 38 which i'm sure you've committed to heart (laughs) (laughs) you said this dogmatic religion is a safe container for fragile souls It gives structure and meaning to life, but effectively insulates the believer from actually having to encounter his or her own unconscious depths where both the source of neurosis and archetypal experience are to be found. In other words, to believe in Jesus Christ as an historical and supernatural figure actually prevents the believer from actually having to discover his or her own Christ archetype and to live it in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a huge statement, because you're saying, really, Christianity's got it a bit wrong.
2: Or what has become Christianity? Yeah. I think... I think... um, I'll probably get sort of struck off. (laughs) (laughs) we don't mind. We're way past
1: all that stuff
2: now. Um, I think probably Christianity started to go wrong from the end of the first century. Oh. Because... I mean, after Jesus died, um, there were still the followers who knew him personally. Mm. So there was this sort of still this um, feeling of being, rather than needing to believe. You know, they, they were the community mm. together. But as, as time goes by, you have to start committing things to paper. And then things get turned into doctrines. So by the time we get to the third and fourth century, yeah. we end up with the Nicene and Creed. And, uh, and perhaps in your tradition, you're not you're not tied down. No, not as much. But uh, but, I mean, every every but... Sunday in the Church of England, you know, you have to stand up and say the Nicene Nic- Nic- Creed. And it, it, I mean, some years ago when I was in the almshouses, houses as, as yeah. chaplain, uh, during Lent. Um, we went through the creed a week by right. week and bearing in mind these are all elderly people and some right. of them have been in the church in virtually all of their lives and at the end of it we had to come come up with a statement that we could all say together and yeah. all, all believe in together right and it was i believe in god <laughs> yeah that full this. stop full stop yeah you know it, all the rest of it people had doubts about yeah that's so fascinating uh, but every that's someday, a great story every Sunday that's great people are, sort of have to stand up and say a lot of stuff that they actually don't believe yeah and why is that the case you know, why do we do that does doctrine become more important than actually being what what Christ was. Well, you're speaking my language now, Chris, I'll tell you. In fact, you said
1: here, <laughs> if the church were able to understand Christianity in archetypal terms, it would transform it from an exclusive belief-based religion into an inclusive, ethically-based system for all humanity. And that's the Christ project. I mean, I, I think when Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God, mm. he was not referring to to Jews or whatever was Christianity was to become, but he was talking mm. about humanity. Yeah. And in fact, he was critiquing established religion in that mm. sense, which happened to be Judaism, mm-hmm. which is what he knew. Yeah. I
2: mean, you could, you could talk about it as being the kingdom of
1: love, really. Um, can I just finish off this question from Ruth? She says, really, getting practical, what practices does he think are helpful? Right. You know, to help people yeah, yeah. embrace... This kind of Christ archetype life. Mm. I mean, and for instance, I'm wondering about you know, would you advocate meditation, contemplation, that you know that those sort of classic yeah.
2: practices, or or are they not so helpful? Okay, I think whatever is helpful for the individual, mm. you know, and that will vary hugely. Yeah. Um, I mean, some some people you know love singing, sort of what I might refer to as happy, clappy songs, and, mm. you know, that, and that's fine for them. Mm. You know, yeah. It doesn't happen to suit me. Yeah. Um, certainly sort of meditation and contemplation. Um, but I think I would say there are three things, really. Be kind, <laughs> be kind, and be kind. Mm. I think kindness, really. Practice kindness little things you know all the time tiny little things holding the door open for somebody in the shop and, yeah you know, just little things smiling at people yeah um yeah just be kind um, i love it
1: this would be my theology of paddington bear but we won't we won't, we won't go there now um, let's talk let's just talk about god let's just take on the big one you said this at one point in the book you said god is comprehended by the biblical writers, by the standards and ethics of their time. Life was short, brutal, and violent. And then he said this. This is a real personal bit in the book. What completely foxes me is that in the church, we read some of these ghastly events, and then we say, this is the word of the Lord.' What really are we still identifying God with a Bronze Age mindset? Hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about Bronze Age and Iron Age briefly and help our listeners to get inside what you're actually saying
2: here about the Bible writers. Mm. Well, they, they, like any of us, could only understand um, themselves, their history, uh, where they are through their own experience of the times they live in. Hmm. Um, And clearly, you know, God comes across certainly in some of the biblical writings and in other faiths. uh, So not quite a brutal dictator, but, you know, almost Hmm. that. But it was the experience, you know, the chiefs uh, and kings were warlords, really. Hmm. And war was how they protected themselves or gained more territory. So God becomes just a bigger version of that. Hmm. And how do we understand God now? I don't know. I think, you know, as I said, I think that the Star Wars films, especially the first three, the initial three, and when they talk about the Force, is as good a way as any of trying to talk about God. That's really interesting. Because, because Joseph Campbell was actually a consultant, yes, he I must. understand, yeah. on those films. Yeah. So, you know, we we can't talk directly about God. As I say, netty, yeah. netty, you know. It's yeah. not uh, So we have to use metaphor of some sort or another. And, you know, the metaphors coming up in the Bible all the time are of king. Mm. Because that was Mm. the sort of biggest, grandest person they had around. Now, you know, that that doesn't uh, cut any ice. And and so what metaphors can we use? But I don't think it matters too much as long as we realise that that's what they are. Mm. They're metaphors. Mm. Because... The, the actuality of God is going to be more than. I mean, if I begin yeah. to think about the universe, the cosmos, yeah. Yeah. my my mind turns to jelly. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I can't, I can't. So if I'm trying to think about the force, the creator, the person behind all of that, yeah. you know, How can I begin to comprehend it? Yeah. So I have to use what metaphors I can to try and and. Um, something that makes sense to me and everybody has to do the same and of course they're going to clash if if we talk about them as being realities yes but they are realities they're metaphors and the reality is something way beyond Uh, i think that's so helpful but i can hear people
1: saying and i'm sure people have accused you of not being Uh, A Christian. I haven't read all the reviews, but you know, I mean, mean, that tends to follow anyone who challenges the prevailing, you know, what they think is orthodoxy. Even though more more often than not, it's never orthodoxy, but they think that well, this is what our church believes. Would you call yourself a Christian? And what what does it mean to say I'm a Christian Mm. with this
2: kind of view? It's basically to say, I mean, I I do call myself a Christian humanist. No, yeah, because I'm actually yeah. a member of Humanist UK. Although they say those <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there are no theists. A, a one. few of you have sneaked uh, in. Um, Dave Tomlinson has as well. <laughs> um, I would I would call myself a Christian in as much as I try to live out, I aim to live out the Christ archetype. Mm. And needless to say, I fail, fail yeah. miserably every day. But in a sense, that doesn't matter so much as, as where the... Where the aim is, yes, um, uh, and if you fail, okay, you you bring yourself back to try and keep going in that that same direction. Right. So, um, for me, a, a Christian is about trying to trying to be the Christ, yeah, uh, live that sort of life, not about believing all sorts of things. Clearly, um, Christian history shows that you can believe very strongly and then act terribly yes indeed well let's finish
1: with hope you said this the good news here we go uh is that we too can live that full life for the early church it meant throwing off both their religious and cultural baggage to see things anew Mm. for us the question is what baggage do we need to throw off and do we have the courage to do it the church can be a community of supportive, loving people who care for each other in this journey as long as it is willing to throw off its own baggage of insisting on a belief system better suited to the Bronze Age. Yeah. Well, you're defending this view that a church should be therapeutic, I think. Yeah. I, am. Yeah. I think,
2: yeah. yeah. I think because um, what, what is the therapeutic community other than a community of people who care... Are kind to each other, love each other, try and forgive support each, each other, forgive <laughs> each other. Yeah. yeah. So um, and we are, you know, we are an exclusive club. You, you know, largely speaking, you have to be baptised and yeah, and confirmed to take the communion, and not so rigidly these days. Yeah. And and believe all this all this th- yeah. fourth century stuff. <laughs> this is great <laughs> okay
1: right and then this is the last one and then we should wrap things up you say the only thing that can fill the void in the aching heart are genuine and loving relationships with other people profound and caring relationships that go deep and allow us to be who we really are warts and all hmm. um, do you want to say
2: anything you want? add anything to that <laughs> not a lot, I don't think, no. I yeah. think, I think um, the love is to be shared. You know, we can't love alone. And and it, it, it is what makes us more fully human. Uh, and all, all of us have you know, scars from the way we were brought up one way or another. Mm. Even if we were brought up with loving parents trying to do their best, mm. their best may, may have not been right for us, mm. you know, for who we are. But sharing uh, your life with... Oh, either a person or other loving people enables us to let go <laughs> go back to letting go and and finding out who we can be and we don't have to be perfect thank god we don't have to be perfect you know I know loads of people who are perfectionists and mm-hmm. it's not very nice for those, or or yeah, <laughs> those who live with them <laughs> <laughs> it's true
1: well for me, it's one of the most helpful books I have read for years. I mean, barring anything written by Nick Page. Mm-hmm. I don't, you probably haven't heard of Nick Page. He's one of the lesser prophets. Well, but he's, a, Page, yeah. he's a very lovely man, mm-hmm. and I am contracted to say that. <laughs> <laughs> he is a good man, and I know that he would have more questions than perhaps mm. I have. I found it, found myself nodding in agreement. Thank you so much for writing this book. Thank Thanks, you. thanks for being with us, and uh, I hope I'll see you again. I hope so too. Thank Bless you very you. much.
2: Thank <laughs> you so much, Chris.
0: So there we are. That was uh, Chris Scott talking about his book, The Jesus Myth. Mm. And, uh, yeah... We're gonna really pick up on it, as we say next next episode, because this episode's already run long with that. But um, I
1: know you poor people, but thank you for staying with it. And I'm wondering how people are responding. I really am.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I would just want to say straight away that I have I have many things to say about that <laughs> uh, that interview, or or perhaps I just have a few things to say, but I'm going to say them many times. <laughs> Maybe it's that. <laughs>
1: Uh, Do you know what, I I can imagine that is so <laughs> And I thought that at the time of recording
0: I think there's lots to like yep. And there's lots that's that, very thought-provoking And I think it's always difficult Because, you know, I wasn't part of the discussion So we're going to try and honour Chris And, and not yeah. sort of, you know, put words in his mouth kind of thing But but I think, you know, there's a lot There's a lot I want to pick up on, Joe
1: Yes, I'm sure there is
0: <laughs> So So we will be back next week
1: where once again will we be disagreeing like we did over the tongues conversation last week
0: (laughs) (laughs) and as we will in the future so we'll be back with you definitely next week and not in a few minutes time yes (laughs) see you soon